if we were on the podcast, the pitch, and you guys were pitching us, and we were going to give you a million dollars to invest in Luminu, what would you guys do with it? So many things. <laughs> See, I would love to take that and go somewhere in Asia and buy our own cocoa farm to produce cocoa just for us and be able to work with them to develop flavors and special cocos and fermentation profiles. And that's that's really... I like that idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> that's what we <laughs> Will Baird, and welcome to Greenville Miked, a podcast where we give you all you need to know for all things happening in Greenville. This includes new and noteworthy happenings, delicious foods we've tried, events coming up this week, and the stories behind your favorite businesses around town. And I'm Tracy Baird, and today we're bringing you the story behind one of those businesses that we're really excited about. One of only two bean-to-bar craft chocolate producers in the state of South Carolina. You're going to love it. Ben and Becca Snyder met at Bob Jones University in Greenville, where they both studied culinary arts. They hit it off, got married, and began dreaming of opening their own bakery by the time they were 30. But, as Becca puts it, chocolate smacked them in the face. What started as a hobby and experimenting with a few small pieces of chocolate machinery, within four months was signed paperwork in a full-fledged business named Luminu Chocolate. We started by asking them how they got started working in restaurants in the first place. We were required to have an internship after the summer in between freshman and sophomore year. And there was one bakery near us that was willing to hire me and pay me as an intern. So, which, you know, is a bonus. So I started working for her and she gradually started letting me decorate more cakes and, you know, kind of find my own footing there. And that was, I mean, that was my job through college. I was the only one in our class who knew how to write on cakes when we started doing that. And <laughs> but yeah, and then it just kind of transitioned into different, different bakeries, doing all sorts of different cake decorating. I had this dream of working with this, you know, super famous cake decorator up in New York City. It was like, I mean, that's really never going to happen. So was it Buddy? <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't him. <laughs> Ben's journey started on a somewhat less traditional path. I started as a dishwasher at a fine dining restaurant near where I grew up. It was my first time ever working in a restaurant. I got in there, started washing dishes, and just within weeks of being there, I was hooked um, on the action in the kitchen, seeing how kitchens just run, the busyness of it, the adrenaline everyone's running off of. It was just very exciting. So I worked as a dishwasher for three months or so before they finally moved me into the kitchen. I started doing salads and desserts, and then from there moved up and did every station on the line. From these humble beginnings in college, the idea sprung up to start a bakery together. Both of them had experience with baking and pastries, and their initial goal was to continue to hone their craft so that they could start a bakery by the time they were 30. But after several years and several kids down that road, Ben and Becca started to move away from the idea. We had done some baking on the side, and the more we thought of it, and 
how, I mean, we had a pretty great knowledge of the bakery industry um, at that point. We started looking at other possibilities. Bakeries are wonderful, but they're also really tough business-wise. You have a lot of waste if you can't sell everything. Food cost is low. People only spend so much on a loaf of bread or a cookie. And on top um, of that, Greenville is just loaded with bakeries. I mean, do they really need one more? Ben started doing research about the chocolate making process. And this process is pretty intense if you've never looked into it before. Everything starts inside a cacao pod where the beans are encased in a white fleshy fruit pulp, which looks kind of alien if you've never looked up pictures before. Seriously, go look up a picture. But the beans don't even have a chocolatey flavor at that point. They have to be fermented and roasted and then ground, conched and tempered to give them the proper texture. Ben and Becca placed a small order of beans and then began experimenting. We got the first couple pieces, small pieces of machinery we needed just to um, start making some chocolate as a hobby for fun. With that first batch of chocolate, looking back, that must have been a really terrible batch of chocolate we made. But our, we were hooked after that first batch of chocolate. I mean, it was it was horrible by craft chocolate standards, mm. but it was so much better than any of the chocolate that we had before that point. We're like, this is amazing. You know, all of the techniques and differences and like so many possibilities. We love this. It just had just a depth of flavor. It had a little bit of a fruitiness. It had a lot of a cinnamon flavor. It was just very different from the chocolate we've had in the past. Um, and we were hooked. Chocolate just kind of hit us. Yeah. It was just a smack in the face. Part of that smack in the face was the realization that soon became central to their chocolate mission. Almost no one in the industry was buying their beans from Africa. This was happening for a number of reasons, but left out a majorly undervalued sector of both farmers and unique cocoa beans. So there are two major suppliers. There are a couple other small ones, but two major suppliers. Starting off as a small company, you pretty much have to go through somebody else because to work with the actual farms, co-op, the small companies that control them, you have to order like metric tons of beans. And we obviously didn't need that much. So we just looked at what they offered and started doing sample batches. We knew a lot of the chocolate makers in the States use Central and South American. And we're like, well, fine, we'll try it. But we kind of want to do something a little different. So you can get sample bags that are like, I think it's about a kilo of beans and you can do a small little test batch. And we started doing African beans and just fell in love with the flavors, like they're amazing. They're so underestimated and so underused. And it was really just the beans that we could get at the time. Um, it's kind of changed a little bit now because we're bigger, we can order larger quantities of beans. So we can work with some companies that are a little bit closer to us, but it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. The other big thing to note with the cocoa beans we are very, very careful about what cocoa beans we use. Um, especially from Africa. Especially from Africa. There's such a really bad reputation with African cocoa beans. They use a lot of forced child labor, really poor working conditions. Unfair pay. Unfair pay. So we are very careful. Those two big companies Becca mentioned do yearly farm visits. Um, they only source cocoa from farms that are paying their farmers um, high wages and not employed employing forced child labor. It's all ethically sourced mm -hmm. and sustainable cocoa. So some of the bigger cocoa producers like Ivory Coast, there's a big problem with them tearing down naturally growing forest trees 
to plant more cocoa so that they can sell more and make more money. Um, but a lot of the companies that we, all of, well, all of the companies that we we're working with are trying to create a more sustainable cocoa industry so they're not tearing anything down. Everything is as natural as possible and they're taking much better care um, of the environment as well as their farmers, which is super, super important. The majority of cocoa for like Hershey's and all of these big companies, they get their cocoa from West Africa. And that's where you have a lot of the slave trade occurring within the cocoa industry. So also in West Africa, a lot of those countries, um, the prices for cocoa are set by the country because it's such a big commodity for them. So in West Africa, there haven't been a lot of farms using ethical conditions and creating really high quality cocoa. I think the conditions, it plays a big part. You'll see people, a lot of people will use Madagascar beans because there's one big supplier there that has been consistently, you know, fair trade, certified organic. They're taking care of the land, they're taking care of the beans, they're taking care of their farmers. So that's what people will use. Um, I think the other thing is, so just like with everything, there are different um, varieties of cocoa. And the highest quality cocoa is known to come from Central South America. And the African cocoa is kind of like a mix of the worst kind of varieties. So it's considered to not have the same flavor profiles or quality as Central and South American. Mm -hmm. um, I think people haven't been trying hard enough. I think they have these beautiful, rich, deep flavors, but it's a lot harder to get to them. It takes a lot more time and testing to try to get the roast just right and the percentage just right. And if you're doing blends, you know, getting the, the balance just right so you can have these chocolates that have incredible flavor. There are a lot of co-ops that are coming up now, especially in West Africa, that are doing some really incredible things in their communities, trying to change it for the better. And anything that we can do, you know, we're small, but every bag of beans we buy, you know, it always makes a difference. So just with businesses in general, it's really important to know where your stuff comes from. So cool. I feel like there is such a really like important and undervalued aspect in a business having a mission to where when you as a customer, you do business with them, you're also participating in something really good that's helping other people. So like every time you buy a bar of Lumino, you are benefiting farmers in Africa that a lot of other people aren't appreciating or valuing. I totally agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. So they had their equipment. They had a super cool mission behind their chocolate. And while they described their first attempts as not too great by craft chocolate standards, after a few months, their chocolate was starting to turn out pretty good. It only took a couple months of us playing around with it before we decided we definitely wanted to open up a business. Our background working in kitchens, bakeries, restaurants, gave us a lot of insight into how to handle the cocoa, to bring out the best flavors, how to put different flavor combinations together. And so it didn't take long for our chocolate to really start turning out well. Mm -hmm. We knew we, we had something here. So it was November of 2019 that we decided to start Luminu and filed all the paperwork. The plan then 
was to file everything in November and by February, February. We, we hope to get launched right before <laughs> Valentine's Day in 2020. So yeah, take us through that, uh, that launch in February 2020. <laughs> so what ended up happening is you can't, so you can't make chocolate out of your home. It's not under the same cottage laws that bakeries are. So you have to go out of a commercial kitchen. Um, and it was taking a while to find the right commercial kitchen and to get, we had to go through an inspection and everything. So it was like March and we were finally, we finally got into the kitchen and got everything set up and we were starting to produce stuff and we're like, okay, we're going to launch, you know, end of March. And, and, you know, we were hearing things about COVID, but it hadn't quite hit yet. And then... And then the kids got sent home from school. We were like, like, we can't like stop this. Like it's happening, so it has to happen. And we ended up launching our online store four days before South Carolina shut down completely. Or like, this is horrible timing. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. I think March 20th was when we launched our website. We launched our first product line. Awful timing. timing. I mean, it's terrible. You know, and we're sitting there, and it shuts down, and you can't go anywhere, and you can't sell anywhere, and nobody can try your stuff. And like, how on earth do we get people? Like, they're not going to just buy it. They have to try it. We have to get it to them. And I, I mean, I think we were luckier than most because we had just started, so we kind of had a great opportunity to quickly change, keep pivoting and doing new things. But it was, and it was not a good time to launch anything ever. It was just not good. We had this great plan on how we were going to get our chocolate out there by sampling in coffee shops and farmer's markets. Nothing. And then that whole plan had to change overnight. And it was, it was tough. We were really scrambling for a little bit. The first words that came to my mind were panic attacks. You know, we launched the business, we put all this time and effort into it, and we have no place to go, we have no place to sell it, we have no place to get people to try it. Like, what are we gonna do? This is really bad, really <laughs> bad timing. <laughs> to add on top of all of that too, um, I had actually quit the facilities job at the beginning of March. My plan was to then give it a few weeks, you know, open up Lumineau and then find a part-time job in a restaurant to kind of help as we started Lumineu. Um, of course, then COVID hit and restaurants weren't hiring at all. And so we really had everything relying on Lumineu. So it caused a lot of panic. I mean, in hindsight, it also gave us a lot more free time to put all of our attention into how can we pivot? How can we make this work with these limitations? I mean, I think it was it was one of those experiences where you end up learning like 10 years worth of business lessons in, you know, six months, you know, what not to do. It was everything not to do. <laughs> everything you don't do with business is what we learned in the first six months. <laughs> so just to recap, Ben and Becca had just started their first business together. They were all in with three kids and no other job. And then COVID shuts down pretty much the entire planet. I feel like that's about as bleak as it gets. Yeah, when you're just starting a business, the odds are like already stacked against you. And then COVID shuts everything down. And this is your only source of income. And you can't even get a part-time job at a restaurant because no one's hiring. 
that's like a super tough situation to be in, especially with three kids at home. But Ben and Becca didn't give up. They pivoted hard and happened upon a source of business that I didn't even know existed, but started to blow up during COVID lockdowns. I think the first kind of turning point happened. Um, we we listened to, or I listened to a lot of podcasts. So there's this one business podcast I listened to a lot um, called The Pitch. It's kind of like Shark Tank over a podcast. So right after COVID started, they put out a call to business owners who were struggling due to COVID and they were going to host kind of a Q&A session. So I submitted a question about, you know, pivoting and, and how do we gain traction as a new company in this. And they actually picked my question as one of them to answer. So I was able to call into this podcast and talk to, they had um, several investors giving advice to these companies. One of the things that they really suggested was doing virtual chocolate tastings, which was a really great idea. We had done a little bit of that, but then, so that podcast aired in April of 2020. We tried to take their advice and we had done a couple of public tastings, just kind of putting it out. You know, they were super cheap, small pieces, just trying to get people involved. And they worked pretty well. They worked, but we struggled with traction on that too until November of 2020. We got an email from somebody who had heard that episode of the podcast and was wondering if we were doing these tastings for private groups. We hadn't done any for private groups at that time, but we, we said, sure. We said, sure, you know, of course we do these. <laughs> it turns out it was for this really elite private school in Berkeley, California. And it was for the parents, I think of the- Junior class. The junior class. So we did this tasting. I think it was probably for 20, 30 people. It was a terrifying experience. Like we haven't been open for very long. And you're in front of these people and the the caliber of these people are, you know, I am not like, it's just, you know, lawyers, doctors, you know, high-end business CEOs. And like, I'm, I've only owned a business for like eight months, you know, <laughs> I really shouldn't be doing this. But it it went so well. It went so well. Yeah, and then, so within a week of doing that tasting, we had, I think at least 20 more people who were on that on that tasting who wanted to schedule other tastings in mm -hmm. December. Um, I think we ended up doing 40 tastings, 30 or 40 tastings in December, all mm -hmm. word of mouth from that one tasting we did in November. Um, Total between December and May of 2021, it was like 80, 85 virtual tastings, just word of mouth. We did zero advertising for them. Yeah. It was it's, crazy. I mean, we did several for University of Berkeley and Santa Cruz and Stanford and Google and mm -hmm. I mean, international law firms, like just the kind of people that were asking us to do these tastings was outrageous. <laughs> I had to keep telling better, like, <laughs> I don't think, like, I don't want to do these tastings because these people are so much smarter than I am. <laughs> He's like, but you know more about chocolate than they do. I was like, well, that's what I keep telling myself, but it's not working, you know? <laughs> it's really crazy how those tastings fell into place, like, at such a pivotal time. Yeah, I feel like since COVID lasted a lot longer than Vin and Becca pre and pretty much everyone else expected, 
things would have been super bleak if something crazy hadn't happened. And the odds of getting chosen on that podcast and then getting a virtual tasting that snowballed into dozens more, that's seriously amazing. But just as those timely virtual tastings were a blessing during the lockdown, they also began to diminish just as quickly as COVID restrictions began to decrease. But Ben and Becca knew this was bound to happen eventually, and they were ready for it. It was really exciting to see all these tastings come in. The way my mind was working, though, I was constantly thinking, this can't keep up forever. When these tastings end, how are we going to keep up this momentum? So while it was really exciting, I was always, we were both kind of thinking through how can we grow from here, which really helped because kind of oddly enough, January of last year, tastings just kind of died off completely for us. So it was great through 20, <clears throat> 20, 2021, 20, 2021. Yeah. Um, but then they just died. So I think thinking through things and coming up with a solid plan while things were really good with the tastings helped us to transition from that and continue to grow and hold on to that momentum. We were a little surprised at how quickly it dried up. Um, by the time it dried up towards the, the very end of 2021, um, beginning of 2022, uh, we had built up a decent number of wholesale accounts. We had a lot better brand recognition here in Greenville and in a larger area as a whole. Um, so we were a lot more prepared to handle that drop off. And it, it was really good. We started those tastings kind of with the goal of using them to get our name out there, to get our chocolate out there, get people tasting it. We were ready to kind of move on and, and grow the company. And the company has continued to grow. Lumino chocolate bars can now be found in seven Whole Foods, all five in South Carolina, Asheville, and Decatur, Georgia. They're already planning ahead as far as Christmas, coming up with ingenious flavor combinations like apricot and bay leaf and orange and cardamom. And some of those flavor combinations are more unique than others. I'd heard that Ben and Becca like to experiment with their flavors. And so I asked, what's the craziest thing they'd come up with? Um, this is something he did. So we used to do, when Oak Hill Cafe was open, we did bonbons for them, what, two years ago? Um, and the theme for the dinners was earth, wind, sea, and fire, I think, or something like that. He did, it was a seaweed white chocolate that had sesame seeds and powdered dried shrimp on it. And it was army green and it was just like unappealing to look at, but it was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you try that? Yeah, uh, I think I would. I feel like the idea of powdered shrimp and seaweed and chocolate <laughs> all together is a little crazy, but they sounded so confident that it was tasty that I feel like I'd have to give it a shot. Would you try it? Um, I'm a sweet chocolate girl. Mm. I'm, I'm, scared, I'm scared to venture into the savory chocolate world, but maybe I would for Ben and Becca. Maybe I would. And then the shrimp world... If they ever reintroduce their seaweed shrimp chocolate, maybe we'll order some. Maybe so. And you should too. Whether you're down to try an army green seaweed chocolate or not, Luminous chocolates are seriously good. We've tried several tablet flavors already, and we definitely plan on trying more. And Ben and Becca continue to come up with new delicious flavors. At the end of our conversation, we just had to ask, what is it about Greenville that made them want to set up shop here? We really appreciate just the wide range of cultures in Greenville. There are people from so many different countries. And working these markets, we see people from so many different countries come up. 
Greenville is just really becoming such an international city. We really love that. People are so into food here. They're into great craft coffee and beer and it's just a very big foodie town. And we just really felt the chocolate would fit and it's been exciting to see people kind of embrace it. When we first started a couple years ago, people in Greenville really didn't know a whole lot about chocolate or where it came from. So it required a lot of education, but people quickly came on board seeing, you know, the the craft behind it and seeing the different flavors you can get from different cocoa origins and how similar it is to wine and coffee and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's been exciting to see people really embrace that here and um, it's really take off. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard at first because we're the only bean to bar chocolate maker in the upstate. We're one of two in the state of South Carolina. So educating people about what it was and what the difference of it was took a lot of work, but we've had people, they've been really supportive um, and it's so much fun. We love getting people to try our chocolate and, you know, try to push the boundaries a little bit. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. so much for listening if you haven't tried luminous chocolate you've got to give it a try head over to the traveler's rest farmer's market your local whole foods or you can order from their online store which we'll also link in the show notes if you haven't yet please like subscribe rate and share this episode with your friends and if you have any suggestions for segments or businesses you'd like to see us cover we're all ears dm us on instagram at greenville miked or email us, contact at greenvillemiked.com. And we'll see you Monday for the weekly rundown. Cheers.